Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks for downloading this podcast. And do yourself a favor to hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. Welcome to the Blue Hotel Podcast, the podcast with the open mind. And suddenly it's episode seven. If you're a recent follower, subscriber, and a new listener, be sure to go back and enjoy the previous episodes, each with a different theme and a different guest, each episode climaxing with an erotic bedtime story narration. Fiction, mostly, steamy, always. Now, before we slide into the episode seven theme, let's take a second to breathe. It's a simple way to calm down and to get into the frame of mind to enjoy conversation about relationships and pleasure and sex and how to put it all together to make your life a bit better, I hope. Thinking this morning about the greatest sex organ of them all, put a pin in that, we'll come back. Now, we've talked about it, and we'll frequently come back to the role of fantasy and its positive effects upon romantic relationships and sex. Fantasizing can be unavoidable and involuntary, like blinking and becoming hard or wet when you're seemingly not thinking about a thing. And sometimes a little help from images, from movies, from porn, and from the written word, too. Stories that breathe a kind of magic into an evening otherwise spent in front of the TV or wherever. And they can claim your imagination on a morning when you're not quite ready to leave the warmth of your bed. They can be the perfect precursor to date night with your partner. They can be shared between lovers, one reading to the other, which is fun. Or taking turns reading to one another, which can be even more fun. My erotic writing started during the pandemic... Writing and reading and listening to erotica can open you up to desires you didn't even realize existed within you. And there's all varieties of erotic stories. In books, in poems, short stories, printed, narrated to, audiobooks. Volumes upon volumes of erotic short fiction. One of which was written by our special guest this time. So let's meet the author. An ocean away, but as present as can be. I did it right. Okay, how would you like a good dose of happy feels with a British accent? I have long loved a British accent more than any other accent in the world. So if that's you too, you've come to the right place to witness a woman, a wife, a mother who is multilingual, which doesn't change the fact she thinks and dreams with a British accent. She's a book lover with a passion for writing and narrating, which you're going to hear. She struggled upon becoming a mom with something people struggled from, and then the pandemic didn't help her either. 
Now, many of us did it. She looked high and low for answers. They didn't show up, but then what did show up were whispers from books. And she went to them and they filled her head with newness and awareness and the idea to create a place in her head that became a place online known as Pinch Me Hard. You could call it her third child, as she puts it. You can also call it the pleasure empowerment platform, which she'll discuss from pinchmehard.com, which is the home of so much content around erotica and sex and sexuality. The author of the collection of erotic short stories, give it to me. She's a joy of a woman who loves to read her own stories aloud. Welcome, Lisa. Hello, Jeff. I'm so glad you're here. So, Lisa Opal and something else, your husband calls you? Yes, I have an erotic name, which is Mrs. Lisa O. Does he always call you that? <laughs> Depends what situation we're in. <laughs> right, we've got a situation. Let's hide the kids. Um, exactly. <laughs> now, it's late where you are. It's afternoon where I am. I'm in uh, the Blue Mountains of Ontario. Tell us where you are. I am in Hamburg, Germany. How long have you been living in Germany? I am actually German. My accent deceives me. It really uh, does. A variety of accents, though. So uh, I am German, but I grew up in Portugal. And uh, I have been in Germany probably for about 14 years now. But I moved about a bit. I was in Portugal. I was in the UK as well, where I studied. And now I have landed in the beautiful Hamburg. And I wouldn't want to change it for the world. Hamburg and Berlin are two places a lot of us would love to go or in some cases go back to. What is the greatest thing about Hamburg, Germany? Having lived in Berlin for about 10 years, um, it has a lot to offer. I'm going to do the question the other way around. First, I'm going to tell you a bit about Berlin and then I'm going to tell you why I'm now in Hamburg. Um, Berlin is fantastic as a couple uh, to explore as a single it has a rich sex scene a rich uh, bdsm scene it has a lot going on party nightlife um it's multicultural it's vivid it's it vibrates it's fantastic when we had kids we realized we wanted the opposite. It wasn't that we wanted suburban life, but we did want something a little quieter. And Hamburg brings all the safety of suburban life, but with a lot of sass and spice thrown in. It's a very culturally rich city, and it's still by the water, which I love very, very much. I need a horizon to stare at every now and then. Uh, and so... I recommend Berlin if you're looking for a weekend of absolute pleasure, fun, everything, people. But then I recommend Hamburg if you're looking for something for a little longer. There's that song that uh, you reminded me of on your website. I'm the fire starter. And, and you've referenced yourself or maybe somebody else had. Tell us about the pleasure starter, Lisa. Right. So... Where do I begin? Um, I grew up very liberal. In Portugal, everybody was naked a lot. It was my parents. I came from, you know, very open-hearted mom, and sexuality wasn't something that we didn't talk about. Sex education 
was a bit of a disaster. It was a very stiff uh, British syllabus school teachers. Uh, it was definitely not what it is for the generations nowadays. Then I left for England and I first started to explore and uh, just sort of realize that sexuality is such a big part of us, but I never really understood how it worked. I just understood how to have it and, you know, it, it wasn't bad. So I thought, okay, I got this sorted. Then I met my husband and we've been together for 14 blessed years now. Uh, it sounds very cliche, but it is, you know, you have your life story and your love story and he's my life story. And then we had kids and like kids bring so much with them. And I always say they bring out the worst in you. <laughs> I don't know, but like for me and I, I love being a mum, but it's challenging in so many ways each day. And all of a sudden I realized that all these things I'd kind of taken for granted my entire life suddenly weren't so easy to grasp anymore. And it was really hard work. And I had such a hard time getting pleasure started. Like it started in my brain. It wasn't anywhere near my body at that point. And so I went on this rabbit hole of research and, you know, what's going on with me. And, and suddenly I became aware of the fact that there are so many other women, not even necessarily mothers out there, who are going through exactly the same struggle. And I thought, hold on. <laughs> like it was COVID time. So I didn't have anything else to focus my energy on because I'd not started working again. I said, hold on. Something is missing here. There's like this black hole of, of pleasure in these women's lives that nobody is talking about. Is it so taboo? And so I said, I am going to do this. I'm going to make this platform. Like it was, it was a snowball effect out of my short stories that I started writing for me and myself, for my pleasure, for my fantasies. It just snowballed into this webpage. And like I had friends writing to me saying, yeah, um, I'm divorced. My partner was um, very vanilla. Not that vanilla is something bad, but now I want to try something different. I have a new partner. Lisa, um, how does anal work? And I'm like, like you could Google it. And she said, yeah, but I'm not going to Google that, am I? I'm going to come to someone I trust. I'm going to come to you. And having worked in a fetish shop for seven years in Berlin, I said, well, then maybe I'm the right person to talk to. I, I seem approachable. I'm always approached in supermarkets to ask, you know, what aisle is the sweet corn? So I thought maybe that's me. <laughs> maybe I can be the person people, especially women, turn to uh, for help. Pardon me, ma'am. Which aisle are the anal beads in? Right? For example, <laughs> well, why not? You've had a, you've had a, a colorful career pre all this with, with jobs like that. What else did you do? Oh, God, what did I not do? I joke uh, with my children when we have the conversation of uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they'll say, Mommy, well, what, what are you like? They know now what I do, but what did you do? And I said, You know, I've worked in media agencies, I've been a sales manager, I've worked in this crazy shop with all the costumes, I've worked on stage, behind stage, in front of stage, I've been a life size Nesquik bunny at a fair <laughs> that always you know wins the most laughs i've worked in a sandwich shop in a, a car factory like you name it i've been there and 
it's fascinating. It's also one of the things I explore with so many mums, how you you lose your identity. And like all the time I'd been working my whole life, I never really found stuff that I liked. It paid the rent. And, and now I'm so fortunate to be in a position where I'm really passionate about what I do and I'm helping people. Like I got a message this morning from someone asking, can I recommend a therapist? And they open up to me. So it's been a colorful career, but I, it's, it's a two bladed sword. Whilst I do enjoy being, um, you know, pleasure starter and a person to turn to in times of need and for questions, etc. I do love writing. So I, writing is what makes me happy. And sometimes I get too lost in social media and uh, the other side of please pinch me hard. And uh, I forget that it's writing that keeps me alive. That's the anchor. And that's what drew me to you on Instagram to invite you to be here was, uh, was not only the written word that you do so well, but it comes to life uh, on YouTube and elsewhere um, in spoken word, in you doing narrations, which I'm going to encourage you to do shortly because people want to hear. Now they're, now they're curious. Let me back up just for a second, though, because people can relate. Me, not as much because I haven't had kids, but I'll guess and you can expand. And the thing that you talked about being a huge challenge is having kids. And then um, one of the things you noted was losing your identity. Another thing that seems probably remedial to anyone with kids is that your time is limited and your focus is on initially keeping them alive, which, you know, men always say, I just want to keep the child alive. I guess the question is, it's just a lot of work, isn't it, to have one, two and more children. And it leaves you little time for the things that you used to do pre all that. Yes, Uh it really is. Uh, the other side of it, though, is it is so incredibly fulfilling. Uh, I'm sure. I, I never questioned having having or not having children. Like, for me, it was a God-given, I am going to be a mother in whichever way, shape, or form presents itself. Um, yeah, it's been um, really challenging. And, you know, I I wish, I guess, that somebody like me had told me while I was pregnant with my first, or maybe even when I was just thinking about becoming a mother, I wish somebody had said to me, don't lose sight of who you are. Don't lose sight of your relationship. Because I dread to think what happens with couples who have possibly only just got together and they've, without planning it, got pregnant and the communication isn't there. You know, they're fresh. They don't know how to communicate with each other about this. And it's incredibly difficult for the partner as well. So suddenly your partner is, you know, constantly attached to something else. It's also a very difficult process in that sense. So it is really, really challenging. And I wish someone had encouraged me to seek out these conversations sooner. Uh, and that's why on Instagram as well, I talk about it. Communication is key. And I, I feel like I'm always in for the long game. So I say to my husband, you know, they're small, but you notice year for year, you notice how it changes. We were just talking about it now. It gets better. It gets easier. It's more challenging in other ways, you know, psychologically, 
you're challenged with things. But like the sleepless nights are gone. You're not changing nappies. All these things change and you start to win back space for your relationship. That doesn't mean it comes naturally. You have to fight for it. You, you really have to make time for it. I love that you have because uh, it's no secret to anyone listening or you or me that so many couples and communication being key and not only communication, but comprehension to people that understand how to communicate effectively. The point being, there's so many couples that either didn't have that, didn't nurture that and gave up and they end up apart when perhaps they shouldn't have, or maybe they should. Either way, the numbers are stacked against it. I applaud you for finding it, not just finding it, but overcoming that challenge and then flourishing in a way that you probably hadn't even imagined because you went way above and beyond what you even had before. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's an ongoing struggle. I don't think in anything you can say, People evolve, people change. So if you find at some point in your journey together that one of you has evolved and you don't fit together anymore, I think that's just a good time then to say, I don't feel our paths are going the same way anymore. But I don't know who said it, but love is a verb. It's not about being perfect. It's about keep going. It's about do things. It's don't sit there silently. And, you know, people have come to me and they've said, ah, I'm at the end of my tether. I don't know what to do anymore. And I've said, have you really considered all options? Have you considered therapy? And, you know, that's another such a taboo word. There are sex therapists nowadays. There are sexological body workers. There are, you know, trauma, all these aspects. I was never taught how to have a healthy relationship. And I I am hopeful for my children that I will teach them not only how to, you know, read bank statements, but also how to lead a healthy relationship and fold your laundry. So it, I feel like there's a revolution happening now and people are more emotionally available and more competent in actually communicating this wide spectrum of emotions we've been blessed with and not swallowing it all and becoming people pleasers. Or One thing I'm finding um, with some frequency in this so-called space that we uh, live um, I mean, my podcast is very adult. There's erotic stories that climax each episode and and I have on therapists, and I have on educators, and I have on performers on camera, and I have on sex workers. Um, I will be scheduling some soon. And I've got you on with your erotic stories and film directors around documentary films about sexuality. And yet there are people that, for whatever reason, tend to demonize the whole space and everything, which always leads me to think, listen, you, you're having sex and, you, and you're probably watching porn and you're doing all these things, but your outward facing attitude and stance is somehow finger wagging at all of this stuff. Have you encountered that? How have you dealt with it? It is shame that makes people have these strong beliefs and assertions about what we do and what we don't do and what the others are doing and what you're too scared to Google online, but you'd actually like to. And they put on this big facade around me, which again, having worked in a fetish shop for seven years, I've, I've seen things. I, 
I am not afraid to talk about it. I feel there are so many people trying so hard to understand who they are, where they've come from. There are so many people that have had such a difficult childhood that are just trying to get through with diverse sexual things, whatever it might be, that as soon as I encounter them at the table, I will start prodding exactly that spot and they will very quickly reveal to me, I have a talent of doing this, why they think what they think. And as soon as I'm holding that in my hand, I will tell them why they need to chuck it out the window and rethink their entire sexuality. And it's, yes, I do agree with what you're saying. It is demonized and it is it has such a massive taboo around it. But I feel at the moment without sort of getting into all the negative, because I'm a I'm a big optimist. I feel like there is so much happening at the moment to counterbalance that. There are so many ethical porn sites popping up. There are so many educators, like you say. There are so many people trying to end this terrible stigma about nature's most natural act, which leads politics, which makes money, which you know, revolutionizes the world on a regular basis. So I'm confident in every person that I manage to turn, every person where I say, this is your shame speaking, this is society, patriarchy, whatever it is, having indoctrinated these views and these ideals and beliefs in you, I'm going to turn it around pretty quickly and then you're going to get a copy of my book and you're going to go read in a quiet little corner and then we'll talk again and you can tell me what your deepest desires are. So (laughs) I feel we're making a move on exactly that. I feel so too. And I'm glad you're here to, uh, to make that point and to be as positive as you are and as we all should be around it because uh, dwelling on the negative is, uh, it does us no favors. So thank you. Let's talk about that book. You thought I'm, I'm writing these stories. I might as well put them in a book. Yeah, it was. <laughs> okay. So quick flashback to the first story I ever wrote. My uh, second child was maybe three months old and it had been from the first pregnancy to the second pregnancy, I'd already noticed, you know, my body was different, Uh, having a small child, we had health issues, there was, you know, so much going on and I already realized how my husband and I, like chewing gum, were kind of stretching further, further apart. And I thought, oh no, okay, time to get active. And so I'm breastfeeding my three-month-old daughter or so. And I grab my phone and I'm like, hmm, think something sexy. (laughs) And at first I thought, all right, just write what you know. You know, this is when I encourage people to write down their fantasies. I say, you know, just first start where you are and just write what you know. So I legit in notes started writing my first story. And that kind of went on and I wrote some more and I realized, oh, you know, my body is different, but it is all still there. It's all, you know, I just need to get the car parts together again and this car will drive. And then I started venturing a bit further. You know, it's like anything. First, you got to dip your toes in and then you realize, yeah, let's go for full-fledged in the nude. And so, um, yeah, suddenly I had 10, 12 stories and 
my friends were asking, so Lisa, what you've been up to? And I was like, I've been writing, you know, erotica, sexy short stories. And they were like, what? <laughs> and I was like, do you want to read them? And they're like, um, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> and so I started distributing them and they were like, Lisa, I love your approach. I love your angle. See, what I was missing a little bit was because all the characters in my book, they come too often. Um, it's uh, not in real life. Nobody comes that much. So <laughs> it is very, very climaxy in my book. But I sent them to my friends and they loved it. And they said, it's real. You know, there's the mother postpartum that has leaky boobs, but still wants to engage in intimate acts with their partner. And so all of a sudden I had enough for a book and I'm a salesperson. I need a product in my hand. And uh, my husband was like, do it, publish it. And, you know, then you've got a couple of problems because nobody is just going to publish an erotica book for you. So I was like, you know what, I'll do it myself. So I just published on Amazon. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I've been down that road where you're like, why, why don't I can do this? And once you've done it once, you can do it again. What's the next step is, a, is another book, right? There is another book. Um, I am officially, hopefully, <laughs> that's so much on my plate at the moment. I've got live readings and all the rest of it. But I have the basic outline is all ready. And it's going to be a bit more of a whopper. I want to go big this time. And I'm definitely going to look for a publisher. Uh, I, I've made myself loud now. I've still got a couple of things coming up. And uh, I've shouted from the rooftop so loud that now no publisher can say no to me. The next one is actually going to be the sexual evolution of a woman. Just one character from beginning till end, from sex education, first exploration, the multitude of relationships or not, and way up into topics like menopause, because again, there, there's not enough traction. Like it's only just starting to happen. I remember my mom struggling through that. So it's going to take in a lot of topics from some, I've got some great companies that are helping me with topics I'm not familiar with. And, uh, but it's still going to have a lot of spicy stuff because yeah. In every story of fiction, a little truth and, and a little truth, sometimes autobiographical, sometimes through friends, through family, whatever it is. And I know as a writer, you just pour it out of your soul onto a page and, 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 and then, you know, the edit comes later. How much do you think about writing and how much do you just write? So I actually, I have a process. Um, I was going to study literature, actually. I ended up doing uh, media and theater, which absolutely brought me forward. But I, um, I was very interested in writing and studying it. And so I developed a process quite early on that I, I write outlines, um, I write notes, and then I will write a short story in a matter of hours. So um, it goes really fast and I'm a visual person. So I, the, the cognitive arousal for me is the greatest pleasure, pun intended. And so I will literally this morning, I had 
take my kids to school and I sat down and my husband comes around the corner and I went, I'm writing and I will just spew it out. It just all comes out. Um, it's got a, like, I'm inspired by everything. When you say you're a visual person, explain to me how that factors in. It literally is a film in my brain. So when I go to bed at night, I will think of my story. I will think exactly what the characters are doing. I don't often include exact body details, etc., because I like in my stories for everybody to imagine their own body or whatever body they want to. So I try to be very non-specific. But obviously in my head, I put a character or I think of a movie star or something and, you know, whoever I'm crushing on at the time. <laughs> and I'll put them in the lead roles. And while I'm going to sleep, which is, you know, as a writer, like I need a machine that sits on my brain and sucks this information out before I fall asleep because I've forgotten it in the morning. But so it is, it's like the whole film, it will spool out in my brain so that I literally just have to watch it and write at the same time. Um, I'm going to get you to read in a few minutes, but there's so much I want to ask you. Oh. <laughs> right? <laughs> Oh, the one job that made me laugh was uh, the former job that you had, pudding factory worker. Oh, yeah. Don't like to remember it fondly. Yeah. Really? That, that was in, uh, not in Hamburg, was it? No, that was in the UK. That was uh, student times. I was young and I needed the money. Um, I did everything. I was a nude model as well. I stood in front of um, teenagers, seniors, the whole I did anything to earn some money on the side. What, what was the context there? Were artists, you mean? What yeah, were you, what it was uh, yeah. for art courses. It was in schools. It was, uh, and you know, I was very happy with my body. And um, there were private sessions. I had oil paintings made of me. I'm so sad that the generation smartphones wasn't around then because I would have had all these photos of me looking elegant, draped on couches and stuff. Oh, tell me about this, the decor of your home, because uh, I've had people demonize me for the art that I hang in my house, which is, you know, a lot of nudes, a lot of classic art. Modigliani comes to mind as Beautiful. some of the nudes I like most, right? And uh, and, and I had a partner once, I, I wouldn't bring my children into your home. Oh. And, and, and I thought, hmm. It's the human body. You know, John Lennon used to always speak about how, you know, in the news, we can see people killing each other in the streets, but don't dare show nudity. Right. What's your sort of stance and, and outlook? And I literally, I'm surrounded by a vulva I painted myself, a naked torso I modeled out of clay, um, a butt vase. It, I... I don't think we can afford nowadays as people to put such a veil over bodies. You know, I think of my daughter growing up and and being ashamed of her body. So I think we should show everybody these kind of things. A lot of the women that contact me, I was in a, um, I did like an Instagram takeover for a German parenting magazine and Nobody replied in the comments, nobody, but my inbox was overflowing with messages. And these mothers would say to me, you know, I'm stressed, I'm overworked, I'm overwhelmed, my brain is constant to-do lists. And I said to them all, the first step you need to take right now 
is to follow my Instagram. And they were like, what? Why? I said, you need to see sex stuff. You need to start. I like to think of it as a garden of lust in our brains. Now, if we don't cultivate and water and take care of that garden, it's going to wither and die. How do we cultivate that garden? By feeding it images. Now, somebody has a beautiful painting. I love art. Modigliani, you hit me straight in the heart. I love it. You know, I think it's beautiful. It speaks openly and honestly, and children can only benefit of seeing something like that. And if I'm staring at the wall, before I look at, you know, Stormy Weathers by God knows who, I'd rather look at something that's aesthetically pleasing. You know, Stormy Weather is just going to make me depressed. <laughs> I don't even know Stormy Weather. What is that? Oh, um, I can't think of the artist right now. Um, I'll think of it later when we're finished. Uh, I Because I did my RA level, there was this one artist, very, very old, uh, oil paintings. And it was always just like gray and gray with gray seas and dark blue. And it's just depressing. I'd rather <sighs> see... Yeah. A naked woman on the wall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm with you. I've I've added some paintings that are of you know a beautiful scene of woods in the spring when the leaves come out. Or but but largely, um, photographic art is just as beautiful. The thing about Instagram, to your point, I call the Blue Hotel Podcast Instagram page the erotic companion to this that we are doing now, Lisa. And it's just to, yeah, have people immerse themselves in photography and art around human sexuality, which I refuse to uh, let people demonize without a challenge for me <laughs> because yeah. it's beautiful. You know, it's usually the extreme right. And America's really bad for this, as you probably have noticed, you know, as compared to Europe. Um, at demonizing things that they readily participate in. It's this, it's this front-facing hypocrisy that we're not going to dwell on right now because we're going to be positive and we've got so much to get to here, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, stories of sex clubs, threesomes, homosexuality, BDSM, fetish, romance, relationships, and more, a potpourri with something for everyone which is a description of, of, of you and what you write about. The reviews of your, of your work are, are, are incredible. Uh, uh, one more here. A wild and exceptional collection of empowering unspoken truths that all women will relate to. And this is, this is it. If you're tired of skipping to the good part, this is the book for you. You don't beat around the bush. You get right at it. The reason I chose short stories was, you know, we, we all... No, the famous gray book, um, which I, again, like, I'm not going to talk it down. It was fantastic. In Oh, yeah, that, yeah. What, what was that one called? Fifty Shades of Gray. Right. Thank yeah. you. So it was great in that it opened up um, this whole world to, you know, people who possibly haven't had contact with any of the BDSM scene, etc. The problem was that it was in no way whatsoever lined with safety, with uh, precautionary measures, with, you know, this was, that was really hard. And what bothered me even more was that 
I don't want to read. As a mum, I have so little time. I do not want to read 150 pages about what somebody's suit looks like or what color his eyes are. So um, for me, it was pure selfishness that I said, you know, when we when we watch pornos as well, yeah, the the filler at the beginning, it's sometimes nice to have. But at the end of the day, my mind has already been going there and I just want to get it, you know, get the action going. And so my stories, I said, yes, you know, challenge accepted. It does need to have a bit of story. Otherwise, you can't relate emotionally, okay? And books, I feel, need to relate emotionally a little bit more than visual content. But I said, I'm a mum. Now, if I want a quick fix, and literally that's one of the stories in it, mommy's quick fix. I know I've got maybe 10, 15 minutes while the kids are watching something on TV or playing happily together. Um, it needs to be fast. And so I said, you know, I, I can give a reader enough of a feeling for the characters. That's my art. That's what I love to do to understand what's going on, but still take them right into the action. And that was my main plan. And I feel I've achieved that. <laughs> I feel you have too. And I applaud it. Short stories are wonderful for all the reasons you've, you've spoken of. Before I get you to read, before I ask you to read, and, and, and I love your voice, the accent makes it even better. Thank um, you. Were there, were there uh, other writers that provided any inspiration for this or just all come purely from you and your head and your, and your desire to express? Wow, I could not even name all the writers that have inspired me. Um, I am the type of person who reads five books at the same time, fiction, nonfiction, educational, etc. Every single line inspires me. I have such a, a wild mix of books that I read that I could not pinpoint one author that has really led me to where I am. And it's not only that, everything inspires me. Films inspire me, uh, other content creators inspire me. So I, while I can't give you an exact author, I find it beautiful that we can find so much inspiration in literally everything around us. Let me see here. Um, well, you, you get to choose a story from which you will narrate, read your own words. Um, you pick one, you tell us a bit about it and jump right to. in if you would. Um, so all the stories are normally short. Yeah. Uh, some of them are a little bit longer. So I've got one which is about fantasies. And when I say fantasies, I mean like literally imagining your body is a different body. Uh, this story came from the fact that postpartum I'm going to generalize and say many, many mums, they look down and they think, wow, what happened? Because <laughs> you go from blooming and beautiful to deflated and pudgy in a matter of hours. So I really, really love that one. And then there's actually another one that I like as well, which is self-pleasure, because a lot of the women that contact me, they're like, oh, sex with my partner, sex with my partner, sex with my partner. And I'm like, um, can we take a step back? What about sex with yourself? And so it seems to be this, this big thing about how um, many women forget how to start with themselves. 
because only if we know what we like can we communicate that to our partner. So spontaneously, I would have said, um, maybe do maybe the fantasy one because it's also got a bit of self-pleasure in it and then see how we go. Maybe slide another one in. That was good. This is Lisa, Lisa O, and she is an erotic writer and narrator, as you are about to hear. So the floor is yours. It's you. In my wildest self-pleasure fantasies, I am with you. Yes, that's right. You. I'm lying in bed having just woken up, warm and disheveled, and I am thinking of you. In my head, I have a different body. I'm petite, with a blonde bob, big bosoms, and a sizable butt. I'm naked. Are you? My hands are exploring my body, running through my hair, behind my ears, over my lips. I lick my fingers and let them trail down my voluptuous, heaving boobs, my soft, pale stomach, over my freshly waxed vulva and inner thighs. Lifting my hips, I grab my butt hard, my fingers reaching into my crack. Are you touching yourself? You are. You've traced all over your stomach, around your nipples and down to your meat. He's hard already thinking about my sweet-smelling skin. Inhale me. Caress me with your mind. I'm there. My right hand slides over my tummy to my smooth vulva, and my fingers dip gingerly into my kitty. She's wet thinking about your body close to mine, your breath on my neck. I slide my fingers into her juice and take them to my mouth. With more spit, I reach back down and start rubbing my clit. You're rubbing him too, right? Slowly. Just the tip. It feels unreal. I want more. You want more. And maybe I'll leave it on that note because that actually teases it a little. <laughs> it sure <laughs> does. That's good, Lisa. That's great. Um, your your accent uh, sounds a bit like a Welsh woman I knew. Um, and and you're from Germany, and you've lived in Spain, and you've lived in England. Tell me a bit about your accent. How you think it came to be as it sounds now? You know, it's funny that you say Welsh, actually, because my English teacher was, in fact, Welsh. <laughs> so that's that's crazy. All I remember was how she pronounced the letter H. She used to say H. And I was like, <laughs> no, it's H. Um, I My accent, it changes. The longer we talk, I would probably, uh, em, empathic style, take on your accent. Um it changes. And because I studied theater, we had to do a multitude of accents on stage. So, you know, we experimented with them all and some I do better, some I do worse and some I can't do at all. <laughs> I think I heard you say that your accent morphs into different English accents. Give me a little bit of that. I'm just so curious. All right, yeah, sure. Like I can do a bit of London, Cockney boy, that kind of thing. Like I was living down in Devon, now Devonshire, now in Devonshire, there be mostly farmers, and they be going out on their tradders every morning. And you know, of course, I can also do a little bit of the Queen's English if you if you so desire, Jeff. Yes, <laughs> my children love work. it. 
<laughs> I have a tongue twister. Uh, and then my kids will make me do it in different accents. It's hilarious. <laughs> but, yeah. do, do, can you do it? Yeah. Do so the, the tongue twister is, Betty bought a bit of butter, but the butter was too bitter. If she put it in her batter, it would make her batter bitter. So Betty bought a bit of better butter that would not make her batter bitter. <laughs> right? And then if you do proper London, where you drop all your teas, you go, Betty bought a bit of butter, but butter was too bitter. If she put it in a batter, it would make a batter bitter. So Betty bought a bit of better butter to make, that would not make a batter bitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous but it makes ridiculously oh it's oh, perfect yeah yeah um and and so you're multilingual so so uh german and and english portuguese. and what else yeah. portuguese, portuguese right? yeah 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 <laughs> um let's go to another story shall we one reviewer commented on your work lisa is quote a unique way of balancing a deliciously filthy mind with class and human dignity what do you think he or she was getting at there? I like to take subjects into my stories. For example, the mother, uh, obviously postpartum, where there's still so much going on in a woman's body. But also, and I write, of course, a lot from the female perspective because it's what I know. I cannot pretend to be a man and know what happens in their mind. It comes from a female perspective. And so things like uh, menstruation sex, for example, um, I managed to make it sexy, which, you know, so many people say, oh, and oh, but I, I try and move people away from the whole idea that sex, if you consume it in media in any way, shape or form is dirty or taboo. So by weaving my my British uh, feels into it, by adding wit, I've been asked if I want to do a spicy comedy because I had a reading at um, uh, here in Hamburg, and the the women they loved it and they were laughing and they and we were talking about really intense stuff like the inability to orgasm and menstruation, um, self pleasure or cunnilingus. And these women, they were having a ball. They were having such a good time because I managed to write about these subjects that women feel uncomfortable talking about in a way that makes them comfortable. And that's what I love about doing this podcast is there's some enlightenment, some education, and some normalization of things that were either of discomfort or, or seem to be not normal. Exactly. So congratulations. I mean, I love what you do. There are still so many subjects that I want to cover uh, that have only just now arisen. Um, a lot of my stories now, they've come from my sexuality. So like you said, very autobiographical uh, and my fantasies. But now over time, my book came out in May and I've had Please Pinch Me Up for just over a year now. I've been approached by so many women with so many topics that, you know, whether it's anxiety and libido problems, etc. I've had so many topics thrown my direction where women have said, can you make this sexy? <laughs> So it's like I'm the Mary Poppins of erotic fiction now. <laughs> <laughs> Not shockingly, uh, Cunnilingus jumped out at me. You give us an in-depth guide to giving and receiving fantastic oral sex, do you not? I do. Where do you do that? Yeah, so I... I have my, you know, uh, massive posts that are lengthy, that are 
educational but also personal and witty on my webpage cunnilingus uh, anal whether it's long-term relationship advice all those kind of things uh, and people seem to dwell on them for a long long time and draw their inspiration from them it's the most content rich an entertaining website I've seen on sex ever. So, so congratulations. And you mentioned menstruation sex, which we're a big fan of here and normalizing that act as it were. There's even a story about that red, ripe and ready. And, yes. Uh, yeah. And this is said story. I say yes like that because this is the story I was talking about. So this is um, cunnilingus uh, between well, two and more women at a party, a bisexual party, for, uh, only for women. Uh, this is a real thing. It's a real club. Uh, read about it on my webpage. And I, I started weaving in poetic things. I used to write poems lots, and I feel poetry lightens my stories incredibly. And so... It has a, it's so lyrical that people are immediately sucked into it, but it is actually this story that gained so many laughs. And I talk about the um, inability to orgasm and wanting to and sort of chasing that so bad and, you know, like a mission or buying a house. It's like the one thing this woman wants to do. And then she is taken under the wing of an older woman who is not interested in the slightest that there's a tampon string hanging out etc and there are lots more women at hand I learned too late how valuable women are for women uh, like how we should be friends and not enemies and and competition and so this story is really it communicates how important women can be for each other and how we lift each other up. And then, of course, it's got the beautiful aspect of this woman being taken into her first orgasm ever by the hands of multiple women. Uh, and I feel like the poem really does it justice. And when reading out loud, so so many people, when they see me at a live reading, they say, oh, my God, when's the audiobook coming out? Because... They say once they've heard me, they can't read the book without my voice in their head. Like it is literally just me in their head reading these stories to them. And so I'm on the audio book. I just, I can't do everything at once. I'm a one woman show and. The audio book will come and we'll be able to find out how and where and why. Yes. Uh, not why. We know why because people love it, but uh, <laughs> how and where we can find it please pinch me hard.com. I, I need to know this from you. Um, we talk about nature versus nurture. We talk about conditioning. We talk about the natural state of our, our souls and our brains and then how they get changed over time by teachers, by parents, by friends, by peers. Because I'm always hearing men, that's a whole other subject because that seems to be a more closed off world. But women who say, oh no, I'm, and it usually starts that way. Oh, no, I'm not into women. It, it, it's kind of a hard line in the sand. And if we didn't have the conditioning, the education, and the, and the church, let's face it, and, and, and the media, um, looking at all these things is taboo, would we naturally have a proclivity to all genders? Or, or are there people that just aren't? I think this is a big topic to explore where I am by all means not a 
professional, I am not as informed as I'd like to be to have an in-depth conversation. I can say for me, from my personal experiences and just kind of taking a look at nature because I feel that is the stripped back version of humanity, you know, they just get on with it. They just live their lives. They have fun. They, you know, they get by, they survive, they try to make the most of it. I feel like if we were, like you say, to forget all of those things, I think we'd just love more freely people. I don't think it really matters what's dangling between their legs or not dangling between their legs, how they look, etc. I'm attracted to people intellectually. You know, um, I, I'm attracted to words. I feel like finding pleasure in our lives is so much more than what somebody identifies as. If that's a big part of their life, then I am 100% behind it. But I hated, I did gender studies at university and I hated it. I hated putting people into drawers, into boxes, having to label them. And it's only been done so that the minority uh, has a name so that the majority can feel safe because if they can give it a name, then they can point their finger at it. And it frustrated me to no avail. And my final thesis uh, reflected that as well, because I couldn't cope with it. We studied Eddie Izzard at the time and, you know, the, the progression he's made in his life and his identity, who cares as long as he's happy, you know, I just... I feel people should love people regardless of their gender, full stop. Thank you. I very much enjoyed Eddie Izzard at a theater a few years ago. Me too. And then one day, yeah, it was yeah, so good. Yeah, I saw good. him live in Berlin. Oh, I oh, loved it. Wow. I don't I know. I, is he, he? I think he's they now. Is he? Right. I, th- I think you're right. Um, and and they were on the street in, 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 uh, in New York City when I was walking by, and I was oh. just thrilled to see them. Yeah. Um, just having lunch in the wild, as yeah. it were. Well, <laughs> well, thank you, because sometimes, sometimes the gut is. Uh, well, you've you've studied more than you give yourself credit for, so your your opinion means a lot here at the Blue Hotel. Why don't you uh, do another reading, if you would? You have you have so much. You get to choose again. Culturally, so often, uh, women and men are raised to believe we grow up, we marry, we have children. It's still very much driven into us. You know, with my children, I say you can still have kids if you're not married, but, you know, each to their own. And quite often in relationships, when the women rediscover their sexuality or discover certain aspects of their sexuality, they suddenly realize, okay, maybe I might be interested in women or works, vice versa, etc. Now, what happens in those relationships? What happens to the partner? So this story is actually about a couple and he's a guitar rock legend And she is suffering under his passion for his work. He's married to his career first and foremost. So she's suffering a little due to lack of attention. But he gives her his okay to explore herself. And she does. She is interested in women. And uh, this was, again, for a party. And the motto was, in fact, rock 
So all the women were dressed in rock outfits. And when I read it, it was obviously, you know, the vibe is just so intense when these women are looking at each other and they know I could be this person. So it's so relatable. Um, And so uh, this is actually about a woman who's a little bit older who falls in love with a groupie. Tell us the title and, and, and please read for us, Lisa. So the title of this story is Rock My World, and I'm going to dive straight into where it gets to the good part. Facing each other, we say nothing, and suddenly I can't take it any longer. Like a bird taking flight, my hands soar to her cheeks. Our lips press in the lightest way possible against each other. Everything is new, yet so familiar. The earth-shattering fervor quakes through my skin. I do not recognize myself. My brain scans the entire situation, struggling to compartmentalize all the sensations I notice that the music has faded around me. It's as if we are in the eye of a storm. Heat crawls up my neck, settling in my cheeks. My lips tingle. Her lips are dry. An eternity goes by. And then the confusion sets in. Is it guilt? Shame? Greed? What am I doing? What does this mean? I love Jack, but this woman, this woman is making me giddy. I know nothing about her, yet she makes me feel understood. With my knees trembling, my brain darting from one explanation to another, she senses my unease. I almost choke on my own breath as I feel her fingers trace up my back and my ribcage sinks, my heart slows again, and as my eyes settle into this moment of inexplicable sensuality, she caresses my face and kisses me. It's perfect, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) This is so good. I'm so glad you're here. I really am. You know, it's funny. I've said this before. Everything happens when it's supposed to. I mean, it's a good philosophy to have. It doesn't mean we just sort of wait around for things to happen. We live our lives. But when we get anxious about things not happening, I just say, calm yourself. It will when it's supposed to. It's okay. I invited an erotic writer on whose really short works are more like poems, which are wonderful, as you pointed out. And, And she is working her way up to being a guest here. And I thought, that's okay. And she felt a little bad. She apologized for saying yes and then and then retracting. I said, no, it's okay. When you're ready, I'm here. And then you showed up, and so thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you. Let me ask you one or two more things before you go. And then you know what happens in the Blue Hotel podcast? And I have to admit that I didn't have one ready until just in time, I wrote six stories. And there, to your point about not having a ton of color up front, like getting to the point, they're all kind of between 15 and 25 minutes in length. And, uh, and, and they're, you know, they're, they're guy with girl, they're two guys with girl, they're two girls with guy, they're guy with, you know, every imaginable. And um, the one thing to your point earlier that I'm not as well versed in is, is a woman with a woman. So write about what you know and understand. But I only had six ready, and this is episode seven. So I've been, I've been, (laughs) 
I've been cramming and challenging myself to uh, to do a story um, on the fly quickly. And, and sometimes it's good to challenge yourself and, and not right outside of your comfort zone. So that's coming up in a few minutes when we conclude this uh, interview conversation with you, Lisa. There's a couple of questions that came up and, and we touched on it, but get to the get to the heart of the matter. This may or may not include couples with kids. The question was, why do couples stop having sex? And what are your thoughts, Lisa? With kids and without kids, two different pairs of shoes. With kids, I could go on for hours. Uh, without kids, also many thoughts. I'm going to keep it generic. Esther Perel, fantastic psychotherapist, works a lot with couples, relationships, and sexuality. She says, we do not own our partners. So one of the biggest mistakes we can make in a relationship, especially when it goes long-term, is to feel like our partner owes us something. So when we are in the relationship for a longer amount of time, we start relying on our partner for certain feelings to catch us in our feelings. Now, our partners are also not responsible for our happiness. So it all starts on a one-to-one -one level, which at the beginning, due to the honeymoon phase, we are one, we are united, we go everywhere together, we hold hands together. When that blows over, suddenly we start separating again and we become separate entities. If that separation does not happen black and white, we start holding our partners accountable. And that's when these feelings of resentment, of guilt, of uh, you owe me, why haven't you, etc., start coming in. That's one of the first problems in many relationships, at least what I've identified. This is very generically speaking. What happens next is we forget how to live an independent life. So we don't say to our partner, I want to do this. I get that you don't want to do it, but I want to do it. I want to travel for two months. We feel like we owe our partners to spend time with them, where perhaps it would do us the world of good to leave for two months. And the communication is not happening. So if we're having troubles talking to our partners about what we want, it leads straight into the bedroom. Now, as soon as we start getting into the sexual realm, it might as well end before it's begun. Because if we're not managing to say, I don't want to have Indian food tonight, I want to have Chinese food, then we're also not going to be able to say, I don't want my butt eaten, I want you to lick the front part of me. So it's it all runs parallel. You know, sex runs the world, like we said before. And the longer this goes on, the worse it gets. I encourage all couples to, <laughs> and see lots of people that I've said this to, they laugh at first, but then I explain why. Some relationships need a hard cut and then you need to start grieving whatever's happened, whatever's brought you to this point where you're unhappy and start saying, and people say, oh, what do you do? Do you light a candle and like say, oh, rest in peace? <laughs> no, right? Ha ha, funny. You can light a candle. You can have some great food. Sure. It's not about that. It's about saying, listen, at the beginning of our relationship, we were here. It was great. It was amazing. We loved it. Now we're not there anymore. Now it's okay to say we're not there anymore, but let's see how we move forward. 
So I think this kills relationships because we don't move forward individually and we don't move forward together. The admission that there needs to be a change because it's not working as it is. So let's get that blank paper out and start anew and rid ourselves of the resentment that built up. And you know this, and I think I've read this. I certainly, there's a thread of it in your, in your website and in your work. The, the biggest and the best and the most important sex organ would be the brain. A hundred percent. Right. A hundred percent. If we're not reaching the brain of our partner on a day-to-day level, we're also not going to reach them in the bedroom. Thank you for bringing up Esther Perel. Mating in captivity was really the, 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 the opening, the conduit to me eventually doing this Blue Hotel podcast. Without her, I don't think it ever would have existed. She is probably the most articulate educator around relationships that involve sex, and 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 a lot of them do. <laughs> Absolutely, and there she is definitely on the absolute forefront. And mating in captivity, I inhaled it, and it's got so many post-it notes in it. I just don't even know what I was doing anymore. But there is also so, so much more. And there is also a lot going on uh, for different cultures. I also feel the way you grew up, there's a difference in how you perceive your own sexuality, uh, what you've been confronted with. I um, I recently, and it took forever and it's never over, I've got a whole blog post of all the media, whether it's web pages, whether it's books, etc., whether it's for mental stimulation or educational values. I did this whole list and I always encourage anybody who has more fantastic books or, or web pages or et cetera, send them to me because this, this list needs to become sort of the Bible of education for all things sex. Please pinch me hard. Com. always, Jeff. Consensually. You know, this is the, the C <laughs> word is, is the most important word in all of this. I talk about it often, and specifically this, Lisa, that no matter when the yes came to anything that you're about to do with someone else, it can be followed by a no at any time in the meeting. And it doesn't matter where the meeting is. The meeting can be in the bedroom. The meeting can be in the hotel room. The meeting can be anywhere at all the yes can become a no at any point and no means no means no means no means no word thank you where did the where did the where did the title come from by the way of your website please pinch me please hard. pinch me hard so um in english or like yeah you know if you say uh, something's too good to be true you'll say oh pinch me you know pinch me because i can't believe it And so, you know, taking that a bit further, I said, pinch me hard, because that puts a bit of kink into it. And then I said, "Uh, consensually, of course. So it became, please pinch me hard. And every time I say it in in live, people will be like, may I? And I'll go, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's reserved for my husband. Thank you very much. (laughs) Perfect. Lisa, Lisa O. Um, And what does your husband call you again? Mrs. Lisa O. I like that. From pinchmehard.com. Lisa, oh, you're the best. I'm so glad you were here. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. She did it right. I 
We're going to climax episode seven with a new erotic narration. It's called Let's Make a Date. So they set a date, the first date. And then they did something not recommended at all. They talked on the phone 10 times or more before even going on date number one. They'd never met before, but they knew of each other and had mutual friends. They knew all this talk was risky, building it up like that because you don't know how it'll go until you're in a room together, face to face, where you can hear the way they speak and see the way they respond. And then you can feel what you feel when they do. It's only then that you know whether date number two is even going to be a thing. And then only if the feeling's mutual. You either want more or you're looking for the door. And so the night came, the dinner date. He arrived early, made sure the cozy booth he had reserved was ready. It was. He went back outside and waited for her arrival. She pulled up in front and, seeing him, stopped her car. The passenger window slid down. Her smile broadened and he said, let me accompany you down to park. Soon mission accomplished and together they walked to the elevator and found themselves at ground level, steps from her favorite place to eat. The excitement to finally see one another filled them both. They hadn't yet stopped to fully take one another in until they were seated. Just walking together toward that place was exciting for them both. In their phone conversations, they had readily agreed that they would sit together side by side. And so they slid their bodies into place on the leather. And it was undeniable. Both felt the feeling they'd hoped to feel admiration and relief that the magnetic force they'd felt on the phone calls was in person growing stronger by the minute. They were mutually impressed with the way one another had dressed, clearly with the intention of showing each other how special that first night in the flesh really was. The lighting was dim and was romantic, a private spot in which to get better acquainted. Couldn't have had a better table. Another risky topic they had discussed on the phone. Kissing. And about that, they had agreed upon two things. One, that was something they both loved. And two, kissing doesn't lie. It either works or it does not. And it's a surefire indication of how the rest might eventually play out. She was rather well-read in the subject. And she pointed out that in 2020, there was a study published by the Journal of Sex and Relationship Therapy that found that kissing frequency is a strong indicator of relationship connectivity. The more you kiss, the happier you tend to be in your relationship. But even if the kissing seems like one of the most natural things a couple can do, some cultures don't really recognize it. 
These two did. They ordered drinks, and side by side, they slowly sipped, and they talked, and they smiled, and they laughed. And they referenced some of the conversations they'd had on the phone. And they frequently looked away, if only for a second. A shyness that was really signaling attraction. And the sort of pinch me is this really happening feeling they were both feeling. To say that dinner was delicious was the understatement of the year. Dishes cleared from the table, her hand found his and squeezed lightly. You know, there's much credit given by science to continuous minutes of undistracted, non-sexual physical contact. Glances that would become prolonged gazes, leading to more touching. He raised his hand to her face, first her cheek. He brushed her bangs aside to see her face fully. And she smiled, and she blinked, and she blushed, and she moved even closer to him. He leaned in further. She smiled at that, and they kissed. And again, soft lips, gentle motions. Then his kisses met her forehead and her eyebrows. And her full and soft lips some more. Slowly but increasingly deliberate. These public displays of affection might have been awkward to some and for some, but not to these two. It was like they were the only people in the place. Nobody was paying much attention. Oxytocin was surging, hearts were beating, temperature rising. There's a woman named Annabelle Carvel who authored a piece on kissing which starts out by noting, presumably for anyone who'd forgotten or hadn't seen it defined in print before, that the tongue is the fleshy, muscular organ in the mouth of a mammal used for tasting, licking, swallowing, and in humans articulating speech, which all added up to dinner, evidently, date number one. Once you add the lips, then comes sucking. It's a piece called Tongue Poetry, which goes on to note how the tongue is the most flexible muscle in our body, and how we learn to maneuver it inherently, and how we form our own set of taste preferences through trial and error with the things we put in our mouths. So thank you, Annabelle Carvel, wherever you are, for the image and the info. Now, the start of a new day, she consumed his thoughts, and unaided by porn, and with the vision of her in his imagination, he decided he'd relieve all of the tension that had been building for all of the days they'd been talking on the phone, and all the excitement of date number one. And he pictured her, spreading her legs, scissored wide, nearly at right angles to her body, her hands gripping the inside of her thighs, her long, dark veil of hair blanketing the pillow. He imagined her giving him that look, the one from last night's dinner, the one that said yes. And then she said it aloud, yes, please, sir. And he watched as she moved her hands just a bit further up her thighs, her fingers painted deep blue-black, with her thumbs now resting against her smooth pink lips. And then her mouth opened slightly, and then she said it in no uncertain terms aloud, Taste me. And so he stretched out, face down, and she raised her hands up just a bit, and his went where hers had been, and he slowly and gently parted her lips, and his head drew nearer to her opening, and he breathed her in, and he loved her scent, 
and he tongued her slowly, at first tasting the wetness of her lips and then circling her clit slowly and lightly licking and then flicking, her body responding. She raised her ass a bit. She arched her back. Then she started pushing into his mouth and then resting and rising, the rhythm of it all making him rock hard, the pre-cum spilling out from the tip of his cock. And then she requested verbally again for more of him, whispering, fingers. And so he slid the middle finger of his right hand slowly inside her up all the way, feeling the peach pit texture of her G-spot, just lightly at first. And then he pulled it back out and it was as wet as wet could be and he fed it to her open mouth. And she licked her lips and he dropped his hand back down and he slid his finger back inside of her, once again finding a rhythm, one that she found pleasing, and he pulled back into her spot again and again and again until her breathing made her chest rise and her neck blush and her nipples hard and her stomach taut, and he pulled his head back and he continued working her spot, quickening the pace until he sensed she just might. And then she did, as her body shuddered and her pussy gave way to a stream, a steady stream squirting toward his face all of the goodness from inside of her and he happily drank it up and the sounds she made were enough to make him come too all over her stomach that was the fantasy come on let's go to the blue hotel please take me back to the blue hotel the Blue Hotel Podcast, just about every Thursday at midnight Eastern. Follow, listen, enjoy, rate, review, share, repeat. Till next time, I'm Jeff Woods. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.